At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Fade to Gray. My name is Andy, one of the hosts at the round table. Uh, we are humbled today to be joined by Brady Harden from the Life After podcast. We uh, talked about religious trauma for a good portion of the episode and also what it was like for him to go from married life as a Christian dude to coming out as gay and then what that was like for him dealing with uh, church life and, and deconstructing all at the same time. And we also get into what dating is like for him now. Uh, he does also bestow on us uh, our our classifications uh, if we were all on Grinder, which is a gay dating app, if you are unaware. Uh, it did get pretty interesting. And I'm a twink, apparently, uh, if you if you cared to know. Today's podcast is sponsored by my Uncle Ricky. He said he would pay me to say uh, he is really lonely. And Aunt Betty, if you find it in your heart to please just forgive him, he would really love that. Okay. Um, guys, we need to screen for, for sponsors next time. This is really embarrassing. Um, that's enough of the intro. Let's get deep into the conversation with Brady Harden. Welcome to Fade to Gray, man. Uh, we're certainly excited to have you on today. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And Brady, my name is Andy. I don't think I was on the last time that you were on. I believe I was with my daughter, uh, but it's really nice to meet you, man. I'm looking forward to, to talking about uh, talking some shit about church today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on, a, on a Sunday morning when we should all be at church. Hey. Yeah, on my... Um, <laughs> On my podcast, we have a saying that goes, um, if you don't go to church uh, Saturday, no, I'm sorry, if you don't go to church, Sunday is just a second Saturday. I like that. Oh, man. Second Saturday. That's like the best thing ever. <laughs> that's what we call it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, what's going on, Brady? Good to see you again. Hey, you too. Thank you. Well, the Lord works in mysterious ways. That timing was just. Um, oh, no, no. We don't. <laughs> what do they call that? Uh, divine intervention. I believe so. Yeah. Too bad they didn't have any of that when the Hurricane Florence came in. Damn. Oh, oh he went there. Oh, shots fired. <laughs> I'm the divine Jesus, intervention. Jesus, take the hurricane. <laughs> Mason is also working while recording this, so let's uh, let's keep that in mind. <laughs> 
<laughs> the inside joke there is Mason is an insurance adjuster and he's there in the North uh, Carolina Florence cleanup. <laughs> oh, gotcha. All right, all right. I actually think it was an inside job by uh by Mason and his insurance comrades to bring the hurricane so they could have uh keep job security, all that sort of stuff. I I I think the insurance company actually did it. Do you think that they perpetuated global warming just so that they could make money off of it? You never know with those insurance guys. We had Chad Johnson on it. You never know. And remember our conspiracy episode. There is a big weather machine that can control the weather. So. That's exactly what it is. The chemtrails generate the weather, buddy. <laughs> oh, that makes so much more sense now. <laughs> All right, man. I'm excited about this call. Honestly, I was. Um, I've been listening to your podcast some. Uh, um, and uh, very well done, very well produced. I uh, Thank you. listened to you and your co-host, so I never really thought that much about religious trauma syndrome. No one can hear me. Omar's got some uh, internet issues that he's getting fixed on Wednesday. Oh, gotcha. He lives a little too close to Amish country. <laughs> <laughs> All of his neighbors ride a horse and buggy. Nice. Amish creep me out, man. Like, ugh. <laughs> My, um... My mom and some of her friends from church growing up would always go to Amish country for vacation. And the more I read about them and shit, I'm like, God, this this is not cute. Like, this shit is really fucking weird. And it is very romanticized. It's not okay, Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a whole different thing, man. We 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 are trying to get a a few Amish uh, Amish Amish. Uh, Amish. Amish, Amish, okay. they'll be on. They'll, uh, they'll be on. They want to. They want to do it. It's just a matter of figuring out when. Great, that would be awesome. And next Amish too, somebody who is no longer in the fold. Um, so we're gonna get two different perspectives. Like one of the kids left for a while and went back, and the other left and is not going back. So we can get two different perspectives on what it's like growing up in the Amish community. Is it? So the ones that are still in it, they would be okay with being recorded? Their family wouldn't be. Like, the Amish community wouldn't be, but they're doing it anyway. So how do they have a reality show, then? <laughs> they <I> don't. <laughs> <laughs> all right, because I'm, I'm curious to how that all works. Um, but, I mean, it's just... it's. Mm. And there's a lot of sexual abuse and abuse that stays within it um, that doesn't get any justice at all because of how their community works and um just recently I found on like instagram and shit some woman like that she came from that community and that's what she's really fighting for is to get like justice for all this abuse and you're just like oh yeah they're cute they like horses but no there is really creepy ass shit going on and they're just like it's a cult but they just ha- they're not violent or you know what I mean? I don't know. Are they worse than the Mormons? I, I would say it's <sighs> like any any other community, honestly. I mean, you look at Christianity, you look at – show me which organization, which powerful, like, control-oriented organization does not have abuse in it, and then I'll I'll sign up. So. <laughs> no, true, true. But I don't know. I think there's something about having to use really strict rules to alter a kid's reality – um, I don't know. The, I get that that gets fucked up, but we may have different. Oh yeah, that, that. it, it, that's okay. It, no, no, it's definitely it's, it's definitely fucked up. Um, yeah. it's de- but I just would say, like, I would say, which culture isn't though would be my my response to that. Um, I think yeah. there's a lot of really good good stuff in the Amish community as well. 
I'm not going to advocate for being hot. I often say, like, if they could have Wi-Fi, like, because there's some things that, like, just the simple life <laughs> is, 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 re- is, re- is really appealing to. And I, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be willing to, you know, like, even the horse and buggy, I don't really care about getting anywhere on time. But it's like, as long as I can, like, Google whenever I want to Google, then I can do the Amish thing. But, yeah, the whole what you're talking about with the abuse, you're not wrong. Um, there's because the, the way the culture is set up is no one talks about anything. So like if there's anything going on inside the family, it's all like kept tight knit and they don't like try to expose what's going on. And then even the Amish community obviously would not expose what's going on to the English. We're considered. The, I should probably be more open minded. I should probably be more open minded. Um, yes, man. So I've been listening to your podcast, the life after, um, I'm very impressed. You guys are very talented. I like um, how you guys do your little bits and segments, and and it's how well it's produced. It's very very easy to listen to. Definitely a lot different than what we're trying to go for with our long form conversation here. Um, one thing you guys keep talking about that has really hit home with me, and I've had to like pause it often and like just kind of think, okay, maybe I am responding in this way because of this X Y Z, and it would be the religious trauma syndrome that you guys talk about um, often. I'm realizing that that's something that I've been dealing with now for years and never had a a name or a label to put onto it. And so I just want to thank you for exposing that and talking about that. And it's kind of helped me just kind of like look at how I respond and react to things and and really kind of like dissect that and so thank you for that. And and I want to actually talk to you about that while I'm here today. Maybe some free counseling out of the deal or something. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, the show kind of started after I read an article about religious trauma syndrome that one of my friends had posted on Facebook. And after I read that, I finally had words for what I was going through as well, like you said. Um, there's this term that keeps on coming up over and over and over uh, it, it, I, I hear people say, I thought I was the only one and realizing like, no shit. Like a lot of people came from this really weird background and it caused really, uh, unique trauma, unique problems that most people don't understand or whatever experience. So finally kind of getting the vocabulary to put that into our own words is, holy shit, that's been so helpful for me, you know? Yeah, because once you can label it, then you can do something about it, I feel like. Once you can recognize that there's the problem, then you're able to be like, okay, well, I'm responding to this person maybe in a negative way because I'm still dealing with this trauma. It's not this person's fault. And then you can be more understanding with your with the people you interact with and more understanding with yourself um, as you're moving forward. And know, and know that you know it's not a permanent type of syndrome or trauma. It's something that you can, you can work your way out of. It's been helpful for me as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's huge. Now, Brady, can you can you paint a picture for us a little bit about like just where you grew up, uh, where you grew up, how you grew up, what kind of church it was, and maybe more specifically, um, one of the first experiences you had with religious trauma. Maybe uh, if it's okay to talk about, it, I'd love to hear a little bit of the the background story there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I grew up about 20 minutes south of St. Louis, Missouri, uh, so Midwestern, and it was kind of suburban, but we could drive up to the city in like 30, you know what I mean, 30 minutes. So we kind of lived in the best of both worlds. Um, my dad was a deacon at our church. I grew up at a Southern Baptist church. My dad was a deacon, but he 
ended up cheating on my mom and he was abusive and the church kind of, I noticed swept a lot of that under the rug. Uh, and so after the divorce, my family was, you know, that, that family, you know what I mean? Like we just kind of, my dad wasn't around. He went to a different church. So I was there every other week. Um, and growing up was really shitty. My brother got involved with a lot of drugs um, and stealing in and out of jail. And I became super fucking religious. Um, that was kind of my way to find community, to try to find some sort of mentor or father figure, um, or to try to find some friends or understanding of family, you know? Um, so I found that in the church. Um, by the time I was 14, I realized that I wanted to become a pastor. So I <laughs> went in front of the church at the age of 14 and, quote, committed myself to the full-time ministry. So every future plan that I ever made, schooling or relationships, anything, was going to be a re revolved around, you know, getting going to, to into the ministry to dedicate my life to this. Um, so as I grew up, I ended up getting a degree in biblical studies and theology. Um, but I also knew that I was attracted to men. Um, and that was a huge problem, obviously being Southern Baptist. Uh, we were taught that people chose to be that way or that it was a perversion or is because of bad parenting, whatever. Um, but I wanted everything to not be that way. So I dedicated myself to the religion even more, uh, repressed my sexuality, didn't touch a guy, nothing ever romantic um, or sexual or anything. Um, and realized that my best bet would be just be open with who I am, with what I quote struggle with. Uh, find a woman that I'm attracted to, be open with her and get married and go forth. Uh, so I did. And I ended up having a kid. And then right after that, my uh, I found out my wife was cheating. She had an Ashley Madison account. Um, and in my church tried. This is this is why I'm building up to this. Most of the trauma, I would say, came from this. And then it kind of made me realize to paint some other things in my past in complete different light. Uh, and that's when I kind of realized, oh, shit, like, this is not okay. Um, but as I got involved in this, in the, the last church I was in, um, they helped get involved with our counseling. It became very, very abusive. Uh, they tried to... I ended up taking her back four times. Uh, so they were they were manipulating her to come back home and telling her that if she didn't, you know, um, God would blah, 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 blah. And um, I am naturally a very forgiving, passive, used to be a very passive person. And so I take her back and having to relive the trauma of finding out that she is cheating on me over and over and over. Um, in the middle of that, too, my best friend... This is times between times two and three that I took her back. My best friend died of sudden heart failure. Um, and so I was having to mourn his death at the same time of dealing with all of this shit. Um, and eventually she filed for divorce. The church told me that I needed to beg her to stay and ask for forgiveness of anything I ever could have done to make her want to have an affair. Um, I refused to. And then was um, publicly 
told, like kicked out of my community um, and told that nobody is to speak to me unless it's to bring me back to the faith because I had abandoned God and uh, the faith at that point. Do you think that, and, and I'm, I'm just curious about this because, you know, you, you said that you were attracted to men before you got married. Is Were you also attracted to women? You said you were attracted to your wife. Were you, are you like... Because I know that some people say that gay is a spectrum. You can, you know, be all gay or you can be, you know, kind of, I guess, like still find women attractive or still be, I guess, like not quite bisexual or whatever. So, like, I guess my question is, is are you uh, bisexual or are you 100 percent gay, but you were like slightly attracted to your wife? How does what does that look like? No, that's a great question. Um, I definitely believe in things being a spectrum. And I think it goes beyond like, you know, the Kinsey scale where it's like, um, if you're not familiar with that, you know, it's a scale of one to, I believe, eight. And one is, are you attracted to the opposite sex? Only 100 percent. That'd be one through in it. I think there's also. Um, it, this sounds funny, but it, I, I truly mean it. I think there's also a spectrum by convenience or by necessity. And so because in my case, um being gay was not a choice, uh, was not going to be an opportunity for me because of my faith. And I knew that I had to repress that in order to please God, uh, <laughs> you know, according to the Bible. More so to do with the community. Yeah, but I also like wholeheartedly yeah. believed, you know, uh, what I had was brought up to teach or to believe. So that was not an opportunity for me. So there are kind of a different spectrum that you would see in necessity. And I think like a good example with that would be like in jail. Uh, there's not an opportunity or in prison. There's not an opportunity for two different sexes. And so people find that scale moving at times uh, whenever they need so i'm not trying to say i'm only like i'm attracted to my wife or i was attracted to my ex-wife like somebody's attracted to somebody in jail uh i think she's absolutely gorgeous and i'm attracted to her but yes she's gorgeous and if she ever listens to this hey i think that's a good analogy though <laughs> you said on your podcast that she knew you was gay before you got married before our first date she knew that i was attracted to men because i was oh i'm um, I am transparent and vulnerable to a fault. So I would like, you know, even before our first date, I wanted her to know what she was getting herself into because, you know, with my family being as dishonest as they were, that really pushed me to be as transparent and as honest as I could be because I didn't want to, you know, do their mistakes. And then, you know, here I am. <laughs> divorced and a single dad right do, do you think that her getting on ashley madison and cheating on you do you think that that's a direct uh response to your same-sex attraction no not at all um because i there there was some mental health issues definitely um that sparked that and uh i mean i was very attracted to her and constantly pursuing her, but there were some other issues going on there. So gotcha. that's what kind of sparked all that. Did uh, This is going to sound very insensitive, but it seems like you're in a very good place. So I'm going to go ahead and go, go there. for it. Yes. <laughs> Did you ever say, Hey, why don't you invite me to this, uh, Ashley Madison party? No. Okay. Here's the weird thing about how that all went down. She was on there for one week 
and had met a guy who was living in Colorado. He was married, and they were already planning on leaving each other's spouses for each other, and they had this plan where they were going to meet together. Within one week? So within one week, she wow. was ready to... Yeah, that, that can't go south at all. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, and so that family, they had their own issues, but there was some definite, like... Um, mental health red flags kind of being shot around there. Well, it t- 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 to me, it seems like immediately, yes, there is some, because it almost seems like a, like, you know how some people are, are fixers? You know how some people like to fix people? It's almost, it's almost like she was trying to be like, be like, yeah, I wonder if I can win him over to my team. I wonder if I can do that because it, because, or, or maybe not, maybe I'm completely wrong. I'm, I'm open to either or, but she obviously knew you were, you were attracted to men. Like you said, you had, you had told her that you wanted to be upfront and honest. So it seems like maybe she, or she was just willing to accept that. And, and if, if there was going to be some exploration in the marriage with that, okay. Uh, but was she like trying to win you over to, to, uh, to be straight in a way like was that even a thing no i don't think so um we were very 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 fundamentalist and so exploring within the marriage would not have been an opportunity for us whatsoever uh but i think that more of her trying to win me over i was trying to win her over because i was very dedicated to this faith and religion and she was still kind of new into it. And so I was attracted to that, you know, of like um, how beautiful she was, how much we got along. Um, and, you know, that she was like new and fresh and excited about God and the things I was so excited about at that time, you know. Uh, so I think that I kind of we were both attracted to each other. And we both had you got that, to be the spiritual leader you know, of attraction, but. Um, yeah, it just, it, it wasn't, it was never really healthy because like I said, my home life growing up was really bad. Um, my mom has some mental health issues that I got used to growing up and I just thought that they were normal because that's what I was brought up with. And when some of those other patterns are shown in other people, I didn't necessarily recognize them up front and as i grew up and had to recognize these things through therapy that oh my home life was not normal um this use of religion is not normal that's when i started to see um that certain behaviors are not okay and that i need to learn to make boundaries of that and uh realizing that i do have a pattern of being around what's comfortable and for what i was familiar with growing up was uh chaos you know so it's like more me trying to fix her in a really twisted, messed up way. I have a question for you, Brady. Yeah, go ahead, Omar. Um, so when you were getting married or courting, dating, whatever, um, with your ex-wife, and um, you can confi- you confided in her, you know, your attraction to same sex, um, but you were also heavily involved in your uh, Christian fundamentalist uh, stuff. So like. Were you, who, who, who else in your life at that point knew you were out? Like, I mean, it wasn't like you weren't, you weren't out, I guess. So, so who else? I mean, like how, where were you as far as, cause you're, you said you were very honest in your relationships with, with people. So I'm sure like a handful of your friends, you know, your family probably knew, 
Um, but like your church or the, how suspect were they on that whole thing? No, I was open to my church. Um, I was open to everyone. Um, because knowing that, you know, I was going into the ministry that my whole life, I didn't want there to ever be a scandal or for anything to come up. I needed to be as transparent as I could. Plus, I realized back then that it was a thing that the church never dealt with or never talked about because it was always shamed to silence. And even when I was a Christian, I wanted to be a little bit more radical in that and saying uh, the the thing that I the stance that I took at that time, which felt radical to me then, but to me now does not. Uh, But back then, I thought it was radical to believe that. Um, it's not a sin to be attracted to men, but acting on it would be wrong. Um, and so it had a lot to do with like self-policing your thoughts and self-policing your your actions and porn and all of, you know, that whole shame sex culture thing. But whenever you're gay, um, it's amplified and there's so much more shame. Yeah, that, that purity culture is um, harmful for everybody who's involved in it, uh, in my opinion. Um, but um, both Ethan and Seth have confided and expressed, like, uh, it, in their past, how they uh, took them to, like, the gay camp is, uh, I think, the way Ethan would describe it, where basically the gay conversion therapy stuff that it was really popular in Christianity in, like, the 90s. And, um with your story and your path, it kind of sounds like you being open with your church. Was that, was that something that you ever considered? Was that something that you went through yourself? So like how, like, uh, get, is it, was that gay conversion therapy, something that you are familiar with at all? Yeah, totally. Uh, we had a, ther- we had an episode about conversion therapy on our podcast. Um, when we say conversion therapy, I think that people automatically get the sense of a type of like sleepaway camp, um, like you you had mentioned. But really, conversion therapy has so many other uh, feels and looks. Um, there's a lot of therapists and counselors that do it within their uh, within their their offices. Uh, even churches provide things like that. Um, there. I was even recommended to go to a Celebrate Recovery class, which is like a 12-step program, um, which has been helpful because it's modeled after the 12-step program for a lot of people. But to assume that somebody needs to go there because they're attracted to men is is ridiculous. So there's a lot of different – conversion therapy comes in a lot of different view, like different ways. I put myself through like Christian – therapy, uh, where I went to somebody's office on a weekly basis. Uh, I put myself to that like three or four periods of times. No, I'm sorry. Two periods of times of about a year or two each. And one of the reasons that I went, one of the primary reasons is to try to help me with my same sex attraction. And neither one of them, uh, was able to do or say, it kind of came to the point where I knew, what to say and what to do. And the answer was that I needed to repress that part of me as much as I could completely deny it and try to have a normal life. Um, and that's what I called a normal life, um, then, and that's what I tried to do. And that's what I successfully did until it came crushing, crashing onto me. 
Thanks for explaining that because, yeah, I definitely, I think, in my mind, had, you know, some actual camp, you know, like that, like, you know, like these places are happening, like, in actual, like, camp settings where everyone's coming together and it's kind of like a cult-like mentality. And, oh, yeah. You know, you're chanting, like, I will be straight, you know, staring at pictures, pictures of vaginas or something yeah, like that. Yeah, totally. So. And that's the thing, like... There's a movie coming out soon called uh, Something Something by Cameron Post. I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's written by uh, a lesbian who went to one of those camps, and it's about her real-life experiences. And then there's another book. Uh, oh, I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's that stuff is normal, and that happens uh, a lot. But it's also because there was such a media attention on that shit when it was coming out in the 90s and to find out these places were super abusive and they were being shut down now it's just spread onto the local level so that a lot of these like therapists and christian counselors in their little offices can do this shit on their own without having to have a whole camp involved where they're noticed yeah thanks for sharing that yeah i, mean, I think that's much worse you know like because it's been like it's like almost behind the scenes you know yeah so yeah. okay, so your your wife divorced. Or she filed for divorce finally, right? Because you were mm-hmm. willing to keep working on it, right? So your wife filed tried, for divorce, yeah. and what happens after that? Um, the church kicked me out. Like I said, they just fellowshiped me. I was not ready to give up my faith yet. I was not ready to give up my fight. Um, I realized my career was over because if I couldn't even keep membership of one of these churches that I need that I needed to vouch for me within this community. If I can't even keep membership with them, how the hell am I supposed to lead another church within this tight commit, like tightly knit community of super literal Christians, you know? Um, so I knew my career was over, but I, 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 I kept on fighting. So I found another pastor in the area that they respected and that I respected. And I set up these meetings where I'd meet with the church on a weekly basis to discuss why I was fellowships and if I deserved that. And um, we went through all the abuse that I was going through. At that time, somebody had outed me to my mom. Um, up to that point, I had not been out to my family um, and my mom immediately came up with a plan where I would not have my sons over my son overnight because of fear of me molesting him or one of my friends, Jesus she said. Christ. Oh, wow. So I had my family was gone. My only like because of my family being a sh- fucked up as they are. I relied on my church family. They were gone. Um, one of my friends, like one of my best friends, I contacted him when she filed for divorce. He never responded to my calls to find out it was because he cheated on one of, he cheated on his wife with one of our friend's wives at a new year's party. And he was one of our worship leaders and the other guy hosted our Bible study. So it's like everywhere I turned, I had fucking no one. My best friend just died. Uh, My faith was just like shit. And um, my church was, I tried to go to a new church. And one of the leaders from that church contacted them to warn them about me, about how rebellious I was being because I wanted to beg my wife to stay um, after she was divorcing me. So like, I even tried to go to other church. I did every fucking thing that I could to save my faith and to save who I was. I went to a United Methodist church for a little bit. um, And nothing was, I was just like, it all came unraveling because 
I truly believed that if people read the Bible and if they truly had God living inside of them, that the Holy Spirit would change them and make them more like him. And I truly, truly, truly believed that Christians would have a supernatural love, joy, peace, all the fruits of the Spirit, because I believed that only the Spirit could bring those fruits. That's why they're called the fruits of the Spirit. So I started to realize that either the Holy Spirit doesn't fucking exist or um, I'm at the fault of all of this shit and I need to figure out what's wrong with me. Because this isn't just trials and tribulations. This is his people systematically fucking me in the ass, you know? Um and as I started to realize the outrageous things that I believed as an adult, like a literal explanation of Noah's Ark and a literal understanding of these just really fucking crazy myths, um, I realized that the biggest myth that I had believed the entire time was that the people of God would actually be supernaturally more loving than anybody else. And I realized that we weren't. Uh, we were just people and until I started to stand up for myself and get myself out of this abusive environment, um, I was going to be abused until I killed myself, which I was near, or I would kill them. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like something had to break and what broke was, was my faith and, um, it was the best thing for me. Uh, I finally was able to say, why am I keeping myself celibate in the sense of keeping myself away from men? Why am I repressing my sexuality for this sort of religion or this sort of God um, when his people are no different than anybody else? Um, and, and then everything became unraveled. I came out. Um, at first it came out as a gay Christian, but eventually my Christianity just shattered and uh, then I had to come out, come out as an atheist and uh, the people in my life just lost their shit. Uh, when I came out as gay, there was 275 comments on my Facebook of people either supporting me or debating whether or not I'd be going to hell. And then by the time I came out about the spiritual abuse I went through, um, and I started having the podcast, I think people started to understand me more and they understood what I was coming from. So when I finally came out as an atheist, literally people responded by saying, yeah, we get it. Like we respect your decision or I, I, I didn't see as much pushback when I came out as an atheist. I think people were just finally able to see why I was coming from where I was coming from and realizing that that shit's harmful and it's hurting people. Well, let's talk about that journey a little bit. So you, you know, you, you do get divorced. How long, you know, until the church actually excommunicates you. And then after that, how long until you decide, uh, I'm not a Christian anymore. First, the church excommunicated me two days after they asked me to bake her to stay. So she filed around January. That was around my, yeah, so it was around my February, around my birthday, is whenever um, they asked me to beg her to stay, and then two days later they excommunicated me, which I didn't even know they were doing, by the way. The only way I found out is because a friend came to my house afterwards. Um, 
And then, so my deconstruction of my faith was, it was going kind of slow for a while because I was trying so hard uh, to make everything work and to try to fix things. So I finally came out as gay probably six months after like it was clear that we were getting a divorce and then um i came out as an like as a non-believer an atheist probably about nine months to a year after that did you get a lot of pushback from people in the church after coming out saying oh well no wonder they're getting a divorce it's your fault did you ever get anything like that uh not as much as i thought um that's honestly one of my biggest fears because when people hear my story, they automatically assume that, um, which is a story we hear a lot of, and I don't blame the men because they shouldn't be put in this position in the first place. But a lot of men who cheat on their wives, they go out, they step out, and they because they cannot successfully change their sexuality, a lot of like Christian men end up like cheating on their wives and their their marriage ends. So I I, I have a knowledge that the majority of people think that's what's going to be this was going to be my story um and it's not but i literally did everything that i was supposed to do as a christian fundamentalist i followed every single rules and showed 14 years of successfully repressing my sexuality um i don't know it's but really the only person that i care about is my son yeah. Um, and he's six. And so, I mean, obviously he's not at the age where I'd have this conversation with him. And any conversation that I have is going to be as respectful to his mother as I can be. Um, because we are co-parenting. We are in this together. We both have him half time. Um, right now, she's one of my biggest supporters. Right now, she's even made boundaries with my family and said, if I hear of any of you bad-mouthing Brady or the fact that he's gay, like, you will never... You, She's even told her own family, you will not see our son, uh, which took years to get to that point, and I'm really grateful for it. Um, but honestly... I was afraid that people would think that, but I also know that her closest friends, everybody who sided with her has at one point come back to me and apologized and said, we understand now what you were saying. We are sorry. And um, I... So I'm afraid of that, but every single person who's known the situation personally has come back and said, we realize that's not what happened. Um, and I think there comes a point where I need to be able to have a voice within the ex-evangelical or the ex-Christian or whatever community, even though I'm gay, not because I'm gay. So it's not like my story has to be about, hey, I'm gay and my marriage went to shit. It's more of like, hey, it was a fundamentalist. And on top of that, this is the other way that Christianity was screwing me over. And I could show you how committed I was because other people may couldn't do this, but I literally took it so literal and so fundamentally serious and so passionate that it affected all of my actions. And it, I almost like brag about that, but really it's so shameful at the same time. And I'm so ashamed that I allowed that fundamentalism to push me as far as it did. 
and to do the things that it made me do or not do, I should say. Would you consider, um, you know, your divorce and everything that happened there, the excommunication from the church, would you consider that the catalyst for your deconstruction and eventual move towards atheism? The, it's funny because I had a catalyst for two different things. And so we get in the whole like um, causation versus correlation bullshit, which I don't even understand because if a word is like three or more syllables, fuck it, right? Like, <laughs> uh, but I think I think my whole point is like my catalyst was realizing that um, that I realized that Christians, and I'm not just talking about the abusive people that I was encountering that with very, very, very much in my face, but this whole, like, have you seen, like, the pictures of The Simpsons where they have the entire city and it's just yellow people from the, from corner to fucking corner? You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that? Yeah. And each one has their own story. Each one is their own individual character. Each one has been in their own episodes, whatever. But that has been, like, the Tom fuckery of Christian, like fundamentalists that I grew up with that claim to have supernatural powers to love people. And so I realized in one instance, we're not supernaturally different than anybody fucking else. Uh, we just word things differently. We consider something sins, but not others, but other things we won't talk about. I thought about, um, there's a woman in my church who, uh, was the director of our hell house destiny. We called it destiny house to find out she was molesting my 16 year old friend. And he just disappeared when he had to go back to his home state. And until I finally put things together, I was 16 or 15 at the time. Uh, I thought about my other pastor who ran out of town because he owed this radio station thousands of dollars and he just swindled somebody. So what I'm saying is I realized at once that I believed my whole life that that reading the Bible and having the Holy Spirit or being around God's people or praying, I felt that it was changing me personally because I was an introspective person and I was empathetic, but I did not see it changing the people around me. And when it became abundantly clear that there was no evidence at all that these people were supernaturally loving or supernaturally moral, um, that's when everything came crumbling down because I lived my whole life taking these things absolutely literally. And when I realized that the only supernatural thing that we could be responsible for right now, you know, we used to have talking animals and floods and um, all these <laughs> things. And in the future, you know, we're going to have dragons. We're going to have this and that. But right now we don't have any supernatural thing. And that's just supposed to be like normal to us, but we're just supposed to accept all this. Other but right now, what should we be able to see? We should be able to see, people loving each other in a way that we don't see in the world and that was not happening i have no evidence of that um and so i i realized that it was all what i was believing was absolutely fake man that's powerful and i you know tend to agree with you um on that uh started to think about the bible as a um you know, we were always taught growing up that the Bible is inerrant and you have to believe every word of it and uh, take it literally. And whenever you start to realize what that entails, which is crazy winged, you know, 
beings who <laughs> do crazy weird things, you, you start to go, okay, well, this, you know, how is this any less silly than what Scientologists, what Scientologists believe or exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, I read Leah Rimney's book um, called Troublemaker. And, you know, the entire thing is kind of like a historical piece of what she went through. And in the last chapter, she talks about what she learned from it and what she came out of it. And um, the last chapter fucking blew my mind because that was our Venn diagram. You know, coming out of an occult was her. Coming out of an occult was me. Mine was Christian. Hers was Scientology. But it was right there in the middle um, that we had everything in common of how we processed it, how we thought about it, and how we got out of it and what it meant to us. Because she even describes in her book, without using the right terms, well, I, I would say right as in, like, more like she said the wrong ones. I'm just saying without using the ones I'm thinking of, she described religious trauma syndrome to a T um, of what it was like for her to walk out and how many like people came to her help the weird thing is you read hers and the people who came to her help are like um you know michelle michelle ah, michelle visage who's a uh, you know a pop star from the 90s and she's a a, a judge on rupaul's drag race and then uh you know some other i Oh God, who was it? Mariah Carey or some other like big pop star that you wouldn't expect. And that's who she had to be with her while she went through religious trauma syndrome. And uh, for me, it was uh, my therapist. And then now for other people, I hope that it's my podcast and podcasts like this, you know. So can you describe what or define what religious trauma syndrome actually is? Yeah, absolutely. Um Trauma, tra yeah, and I'm actually going to talk a little bit more than what we talked about on the podcast so far. I want to get more in depth with it soon. There's an episode of The Liturgist, um, which me and Michael Gunger uh, probably will never get along, but uh, <laughs> I, I do recommend he has what they have one episode of their podcast that I recommend to literally everyone that I can, and that's uh, they have an episode on spiritual abuse and uh, and trauma. But trauma, you know, when we we're we're wired as animals, and when we hit certain parts of our in our lives, we have that flight or fight fight response, and that's sending adrenaline through us and our muscle memory. Our bodies absorb that; they remember that; they know where we are. That's kind of like a photographic memory, which, whether you realize it or not, it's there. And uh, when we go through really difficult times, that that. Um, stays inside of our body's memory. And so whenever we're kind of, that's with the word like triggered, if we're triggered by other things inside of our environment that reflects that or was just like that, our body starts to respond in the same way and it causes our body to kind of freak out and then that could cause us to freak out even or kind of lead us to freak out more so religious trauma is whenever we have trauma like that but it's given to us with the religious context or when somebody abuses power over us or whenever there is a a visceral or a body response to hearing or listening or learning about things within religion or just being abused by religious people where religion is the thing that got you into the door so for instance i have a lot of friends who were taught about hell as a kid and really if you think about hell um as a literal place it doesn't make any sense um 
God sends people there, but he didn't, he meant it for the angels, but not, um, I was taught of eternal hell. So it's like, God gives you eternal life just so you can experience hell. Like you start to get a lot of weird questions that don't make sense because it's not meant to be taken literal. But as a kid, you don't have the ability to decipher that. You don't have your critical thinking skills until your age 11 or 12. So these kids are hearing about hell on a regular basis and it's scaring the fucking daylights out of them. Um, and it's just exp- it's explained as normal. Or there's a lot of pastors that we could see who have like Bill Hybels, who's one of the most pa- famous pastors of uh, in the world of Willow Creek. He, you know, sexually abused a woman and used his spiritual power to shut her up. And then the church council got involved and they were also used to shut her up more. That's spiritual abuse. And so because the spiritual authority was used to leverage sex over her, um, I wouldn't be surprised if obviously, I, I don't say obviously, but like she probably needs to go to a therapist um, as I did, as many other people did, um, depending on how even if you feel that your spiritual trauma is small, um, it could really fuck with you. I know a lot of people who have like gone back to churches and a lot of memories have come back up to them of what they were taught as kids to be black and white, how they felt they had to treat each other and to treat other people. Um, or I've got a really close friend who had a very obvious mental health issues growing up, but because our community didn't really put an emphasis or we wanted to shame or to discourage people to see professional therapy, she didn't get the help that she needed. And I would definitely put all all of that under the umbrella of spiritual abuse, which creates spiritual trauma, um, which is kind of, it comes through in a lot of ways. For me, it was, um, I have a hard time um, relating to people outside. Like I literally went from being a conservative Christian to trying to find as many friends as I could on Grindr, which is like stupid and funny, but like- It's a great place for friendships. (laughs) Yeah, honestly- it helped, you know, like you could have on your profile looking for friendships. And of course, like I was being sexualized because I was the 28 year old who just like, I mean, who doesn't want to like fool around with the cute Amish boy who just came on Rump Springer? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he knows how to turn the butter. <laughs> he, he knows to make that current foam. Anyway, um, <laughs> But like I went from like one extreme to the other uh, and that was hard for me because, you know, even now I'm like trying to date guys and I'm just like a single dad who with a Bible degree who's an atheist. Like, who the fuck am I? Like, that's weird. That's really interesting that you bring that up. So does anyone ever ask you like, hey, you have a kid? Does does that how do you? bring up that whole story. It, do, do people want to hear that? I mean, is that a is that a thing when a guy meets you? It's like a guy who wants to meet a girl and he finds out she has a kid. It's like, "Oh, deuces." You know, like Yeah, but is it not the same really thing? though? Because, well, yeah, because we don't have a we don't have a category for it. I mean, like that narrative is so ingrained into straight men's culture that of course they're going to get on a dating app and there's going to be a single mom there. Right, and then right. guys have you know, their preconceived notions or their prejudices against those moms just because of their situation. But if you meet them, you realize, oh, shit, 
not everybody is the same. So that narrative is ingrained into, I would say, straight men's dating, um, especially when you get into my age. I'm 32. And but with gay culture, there's not even a category for that. That's not a thing that people experience and talk about, especially where I live in St. Louis. I know I, I do know of two other gay dads who came from very religious backgrounds. Uh, one bounced on, on his feet because he came from a very wealthy family from Kentucky. Um, and so he has his kids have time, but he was never like dependent on it for the ministry. And then another friend of mine, um, you know, he but he he's a little bit older and has relationship. So both of them are in their 40s. I'm uh, I'm the only one, you know, who's in my early 30s in the gay community here in St. Louis who has a kid, much less comes from a really weird background. But um, my my answer to that is you know, talking about how incredibly transparent I am, whether I want to be or not to a fault, you know, on any of my dating profiles, uh, I make it very clear, like first and foremost, um, that I'm a dad because for me personally, other people can have other views on this and I don't disagree with them because that's, what's right for them. But for me personally, in my situation, um, I, I think that it would be best for me to be forthcoming with that and to, straight but it doesn't mean that i'm not gonna you know be a sex positive single dad and hook up with guys or to have friends with benefits or anything like that i'm completely open with that but the guys who i'm with know i'm a dad i have my kid have time and that's what my life is about do you think that the church as a system or the people within that like the pastors and the leaders and stuff who is more to blame for spiritual trauma who who is to blame for spiritual trauma oh i don't i don't know how to answer that because i don't think people necessarily i spiritual trauma encapsulates so many things that also involves not purposely doing it you know um i i think that one of the reasons that christianity christian fundamentalism i, I want to make a clear like make it clear that's what i'm speaking about where you know our background we took the bible literally and uh, as fundamentalists we believed that it, it was you know we had history books and we also had the old testament on the shelf together you know that's what how we were raised that's what we were to believe um not every not every Christian does that, but um, I think that one of the reasons that Christianity fundamentalism has has survived as long as it has is because it, it indoctrinates people to indoctrinate people. Um, it's kind of like the Borg. Of any of you who are familiar with Star Trek, just that's right. They're they're just kind of like mechanical zombies, and so um, if they they put a huge emphasis on how to raise your kids. Well, why? Because a kid is going to be indoctrinated to believe whatever they're raised to believe. They don't have critical thinking skills or the ability to question. Assimilate. Yeah, assimilate. Uh, resistance is futile. Um, kids don't have the ability to question their surroundings or to question if the reality is real until they get older. And so there's a huge emphasis on raise your child in the way they will go and they will not lead away from the Lord. That's just a biblical way of saying, hey, indoctrinate your children when spoken by a fundamentalist to another fundamentalist. So indoctrinated people indoctrinate people, spiritually abused people, spiritually abused people. Um, 
it 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 gets really mushy of who's the victim and who's the abuser in some situations but when it comes to sexual assault or anything that breaks a very clear obvious general sense of cons- like consent they are the blame 100 percent um you, do you get what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I don't know who to blame because the people who are the predators, it's because they were preyed upon, and it just becomes an indoctrination system where people teach it's a vicious cycle of will. Yes, and there's such a huge emphasis on missions and evangelism, Absolutely. telling your friends you don't want them to burn the hell, so tell them, and it just perpetuates itself more and more until people are able to stop and think. Wait. This can't be true because it's not reflecting at all in the real life that I'm in. How are all these Christians voting for Trump? Because they don't, because what the Bible says that it should be doing is not doing it, you know? And I think that's when people need to stop and realize that maybe their fundamentalism, um, in all due respect to somebody who's in it for 28 years, their fundamentalism is garbage. Or their fundamentalism has become their idol. Yeah, when, so when it's, people that I, it's just I a human them. system, right? Um, any system, uh, especially one that's around for a long period of time, uh, you'll get people that know how to play it, right? I mean, um, one of the big things that I uh, that we love to talk about in, in the current modern day and age is the um, the welfare system, with that term just to encapsulate all the programs in the nation and all the states together. People know how to play that system, and it and it's something that really um, throws a wrench in our ability to try to reform or or figure out how to make it better. Um, and that's only been around for a very short period of time compared to Christianity, right? So when you're talking about a system that's been around for thousands of years, um, you get people that know how to play that in every denomination, in every you know spectrum of that. Um, you know, and like you, you can see it very plainly historically from like, you know, what we call the dark ages, right? I mean, you get people that they're just like, hey, this is a really powerful thing. Um, and, uh, you know, if I say and do all the right things, then I'm in charge and then everyone will do what I say. And, um, you know, it's easy for us to point that out in the 1200s, um, but it's much harder for us to point it out right now. Uh, but the, the simple fact of the matter is, if you have a person who's standing up in a stadium in front of 20,000 people telling them what to do and they're listening and giving you their money, um, I mean, you are that guy. You know, like you have used this system to your benefit. You drive home in your Cadillac to your 16,000 square foot mansion. I mean, you are that system, right? And it's all over the place, um, it's everywhere. And, um, yeah, um, I find it like I, I loved what Brady was saying a little while ago about just um, the religious trauma being the, the output um, by Christianity's own standards, by its own litmus test. Uh, you will know we are Christians by our love. You know, you judge things by their fruit. So by their own litmus test, litmus test they fail. Right. I mean, like if, if religious trauma is the result of what you're doing, then you fail. <laughs> Um, and it is, it's the result all over the place. That's a really good point. Yeah. So moving forward, you know, to try to alleviate people from getting 
the spiritual um, trauma, right? The religious trauma, what, what needs to happen? Like, what does the church need to do? Or, you know, now that you're an atheist, do people just need to leave the church and forget it all? Or like, what needs to happen in your opinion? MTPUs. Uh, I, I'm a radical. Why are you asking me this shit? I, I, <laughs> hashtag walk away. Walk away. Get everybody out of there. Empty no, the you know, you know, here, here's my answer. And I, I don't, okay. If, if I, I sometimes fantasize about if the world just somehow is able to have a nonviolent reset button, you know, like let's have new power outlets across the world. You know, you know what I mean? Where you go to Europe and you've got the different out. I'm not saying I experienced this because I've only been to Europe once, but like where you try to, it's They've got different plugins and there's different like Philip heads wrenches. And there's, so I, my, my thing is if we could just, yeah, we have a Dutchman on our podcast and he just came on the call and we just want to let him know that his plugins are shit. <laughs> um, so, you know, if we were able to press reset and nobody got hurt, I would love for the world to reset new. And I, if I was able to design that myself, yes, I would probably choose that there not be any, like, religious fundamentalism or anything. Um, what I think should happen, what I think would be the best to replace religion, is more of an understanding um, of, like, uh, I, I fall into, like, I, I, I see more benefit from Joseph Campbell and uh, his studied uh, he studied religion. He doesn't study a religion. He studies religions and he studies myths and he studies um, cultures overall. And he's able to pull a lot of really interesting philosophy that has influenced everything in our world that I mean, I could probably like if you guys pulled your cameras and went around into your room and showed me your DVD collection. I could show you each one of those that was like 100% based on Joseph Campbell's teachings, you know? Um, I think he's great, but he's not at all a religious person. And so I'm, I'm leery of fundamentalists coming out of fundamentalism and then trying to find a new fundamentalism. I don't want them to start following Campbell's teachings because that's outrageous. I don't want them to start following, um, you know, any other isms. I, I think that if we are able to just rationally view the world, treat each other the way that we want to be treated, which is not a Christian term, by the way, that is a, it came from every fucking culture. Um, if we learn an idea of empathy and respect and treating each other with kindness, I think that's the morality that, that religion, the benefit of religions comes out of teaching people morality and causing them to think about how they treat people on a weekly basis, on a regular basis, and to have kind of a guideline of how to treat each other better. I think that that is absolutely wonderful and a thing that is possible outside of religion. Um, so I'm not saying that I want to get out 
everybody to get out of religion. Um, another example, really quick, and I know I'm long-winded with my explanation here, but I think of the Civil War, of how the Bible was used, how Christianity was used, a literal interpretation or even a uh, mythological or like metaphoric interpretation of the Bible was used both by the slave owners and by um, the slaves that were that were fighting to get free. I see both of them celebrating and expressing Christianity. One is using the Bible and saying, hey, if you look at these words, if you look at a Exodus, um, it says that it's okay to beat your slave all the way to the point of death, but if they come back, they're okay. That's an Exodus. Read it on your own. Um, but it's okay because they're your property. That's a direct quote from God, Yahweh, uh, who wrote the entire Old Testament or the New Te or the uh, Ten Commandments. He said it's okay for us to do that, but um, you also had at the same time slaves who were running for their lives in the Underground Railroad, and they're singing gospel hymns, and they're using their faith in God to keep them going forward. And so I look at both of those as the exact same religion. Um, because they are both coming from the same book, but I see one of them as an abuse of the other. And so if people are somehow able to use religion as a way to keep them going and to keep them uh, towards freedom, I'm all about. But you also, have, you also have to understand that there's so much information in the Bible, so much information that you could literally come from any viewpoint. And uh, looking at the Civil War, I think, is a great explanation. So taking things fundamentally literal, I think we need to get away from that's going to open us to be more understanding of science, more understanding of climate change. Um, my son came weeping to me home from school the other day because some kid told him that any kid who or anybody who doesn't know God or doesn't believe in God is going to go to hell. And so he became worried about me because he knows I didn't believe in God. So I had to spend my whole night trying to comfort my son. I, I don't think that that shit should be happening. Um, I, I think that people need to have a morality of not harming one another. And if they have their beliefs to keep them to themselves, because otherwise they don't provide that for anybody else. It's only for their own beliefs. So I think the way to make that free and to make that out, like honest is to, what is that noise? It's Renee's Renee, baby. Your mic. Renee's baby. I just heard a baby. I'm like, all right. But what I'm saying is like, I think that like the best way to handle all that is to allow people to be themselves, um, but not to confide people into indoctrination or to abuse their children by teaching them that this shit is fundamentally true whenever we have the evidence and the proof that it's not. And now that it's being used for political gain in a very real way, it affects all of our lives. And it is changing a lot of people's lives for the worse. I don't know how to fix it all, but it, there needs to be a fix. Amen. Right, yeah, I think uh, the belief system as Christianity is now is based on spreading the belief. And when you when it comes down to faith and everything that comes with it, it is either you're saved or not. And that's pretty much that's pretty much it, I think. Um, uh, what would you do? What would you do, though, uh, Brady, though, with somebody who like 
really thinks that they're doing the right thing. I mean, there's a lot of like well-meaning people, you know, who found Christianity and and religion to be uh, like a, a savior for them. You know, and, yeah. and sees it as a positive thing, and sees that Christianity no, that's a great... spre- spreading the, the the message of of Christ is good. And see, for me, um, I mean, I still believe that the message of Christ is is a good message. Um, I've had on my journey, I've had to kind of let go of a lot of my literal interpretations of the Bible in order for me to um, be able to love people without hypocrisy, I feel like, a little bit, if that makes any sense. Um, And a lot of my issues with the church have come with trying to maintain and preserve a system that's not working. Like, with, like you said, with the whole political system, when I've had a lot of, like, people who I respected, um, say, religiously or spiritually, come out and make excuses and, and, you know, and support, uh, um, you know, Trump, um, in, in ways that just don't make sense. Logically, you see like, uh, people trying to like make buildings survive or make religious denominations survive with money, like basically like by prostituting themselves in the gospel, you know, changing mm. the message, watering things down trying to like be more quote unquote seeker friendly, um, have it more be about the production. And it's clearly a, a wheel, that's just spinning around and out of control. And it's like, I used to call it the machine when I was, you know, deep in my, um, assemblies of God, like leadership. And, uh, so the, so that Omar, that makes so much sense about you. I can just get the vibe that you came from assemblies of God. And I love that. I love it. So, so so my, my question though, is just like, like for me, I mean, I've had to, I haven't been to church in months, um, I have a lot of friends or uh, people who I do care about who are still, you know, in the middle of all this. And I don't necessarily, necessarily want to think that they're wrong or doing something bad, but I agree with everything you've said about, like, you know, teaching children too young, about, like, you know, having their health, scaring people into, like, submission, teaching, like, you know, gender roles and different things that just aren't healthy. Um, and so, like, I want to raise my children with more of like a, a choice than I had, but I also had a very quote unquote blessed or charmed upbringing as well. Um, so there's a lot of good people. What do you do? What do you do with um, well, your friends or your family? You know, the people who you respect who are still, uh, you know, propagating this religious trauma. I've got two different answers, and it, it, it depends on this. Omar, first, um, when you say blessed, did you mean blessed or, quote, hashtag blessed? Because that would make a very <laughs> different blessed. Oh, okay, okay. okay. There. I'm just giving you shit. Um, here, here's my answer to that is you said, you said that you had to give away a very literal belief of the Bible, right? And so the fundamentalism – wait, did you say right? Is that what you said? Yeah, you got it right. Okay, cool. Just making sure. I, I hate when people like they start a point, they're like, right, and they keep on going, and it's like, oh my god, I didn't agree to that. Don't go on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you got me. You got me. You're picking up what I'm putting down. You gave up kind of a literal view of the Bible. When I had a literal view of the Bible, personally as a fundamentalist, I believed that Jesus was the only way to salvation, and I believe that the Bible taught that the only way that you can go to heaven when you die is by um, by by through through 
through Christ, by believing in him, that he died on the cross, etc. And so the interesting thing is, if you listen to the dedication that a Christian has to that fundamentalism, and then I would like for you then to compare it to the fundamentalism that is another person has. Um, and by that, I mean a Muslim. Um, do you think that they actually believe what they're going through? Or what about a Scientologist? Do you think that they're all just pretending because their beliefs are outrageous? Or do you think that they're actually 100% faithful to what they believe and they're convinced to it? Um, you look at other fundamentalisms, Mormons who put an emphasis on a completely different thing or Jehovah Witness. Each one of them in all these occultists, I've watched a lot of documentaries on occults because that is how I figured my life out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, on that one. Or like, yeah. So right. I uh, like I, I want like trading cards of all the cult members of movies I've watched. But like the shit is that like when I was a Christian fundamentalist, I expected every single person but myself, every single person but somebody who is in my belief system. I expected them to have an awakening where they questioned their worldview and realized that it was completely different. And that the only way that they would have a better worldview is if they joined my own, you know, and so now that I am saying, hey, Christian fundamentalist, um, I, I, I think that it would be wise for you to take a step back and look at your literal views of the Bible and the question of Jesus really is the same way. Um, that's the same thing that they're expecting out of everyone else. But they think that it's impossible for themselves because they have been taught that they are the real version and everything else is just copied off of them. And what I'm saying, though, is if we pan that out just a little bit and say, I'm not saying every religion is right. Uh, that's not the thing. But what I am saying is that I learned more from learning about religions than I did about a religion. Um so, or origins too, not even religions, but origins would be a good way to say that too. I think. Yeah, and so I think that it's something that I'm not comfortable saying to somebody. Hey, your worldview is bullshit. I will say fundamentalism is garbage. Okay, but I'm not going to go to somebody and say, "Hey, your world, your worldview is bullshit" because it's not mine. Um, but I will say, "Hey, for me to say that you're wrong feels mean, right?" But right. literally you do that to everybody else as well. And that's what your religion is built on because you want them to see the truth. So fundamentalisms, all of them have no evidence of the supernatural stuff they have. So we've got Muslims and Christianity, Scientology, all of this on the same level that there's not proof of the literal claims of the themes inside of their books. I'm talking about literal claims. There's not a proof of them. So then you start to question, well, how do I trust one over the other? And, and nobody's able to give a clear answer. So so my question, more than all of that of what people are believing is, should I as a community member or should we as a public have to be responsible for what their religion is claiming and what the religion says when they have no evidence of it and me living my life gets in no way of them doing their religion, but the way that they live their religion is getting away of me doing their life. And we follow consent rules. We follow um, the, the, the proper treatment of minors, et cetera, across the board, blah, 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 blah. That's what I think would be um, the ideal situation. I, I think we have one or two more serious questions and then we're going to have some fun. 
Um, I have been, I've been really fucking serious. On my show, I'm the funny one. I'm the only funny one on my show. <laughs> Jesus. Well, speaking of Chuck, speaking of Chuck, who's your yes. co-host on the Laugh After? My buddy Chuck. He's my Omar. I um, he's my token minority, <laughs> and I'm his token gay. So we like. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just actually doing your podcast on a much larger scale. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so my, my question would be, do people who are straight white men, okay, because that's what makes up the majority of our podcast, we do have two gay guys, and we do have one interracial guy, right? I say interracial. Wait, who's gay? Racial. Who's who's gay here? Me. Uh, Ethan who's gay here? is gay. Oh, hey, what's up, Ethan? Yeah. <laughs> And Seth, who's not hey, with us today, hey. is also gay. Hey. <laughs> and in Seth, oh yeah, Seth, I know Seth. Seth is a friend of mine here in St. Louis. Okay. Yeah. Ethan is also single, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> My question would be, do the straight white men on this podcast who have privilege, do we have a right or a avenue to complain about spiritual abuse or religious abuse or trauma um or is that something that you know i guess what i'm trying to say is is like do we have an avenue to speak about that as well is it do you feel like it's okay for us to come on here and talk about these things or even like have the conversation about uh gay issues like are we able to talk about that or is that something that you think we should just shut up about since we aren't in that minority shit that is a great fucking question um oh so i give me one second here i want to make sure that i answer this the best way that i can um i think that trauma okay let me put it this way i'm gonna have to Reroute just a, a second. When I was a fundamentalist, I was taught that fun that the only way that we had morality as a person, as people, as a humanity, as a as a species, was because of God, and that any goodness that we had in us was by common grace. I was a Calvinist, and so we believed in total depravity. And so, whenever I left Christianity, a lot of people said, "Well, oh yeah, well, what's your morality going to be? You just going to go around and do whatever the fuck you want now?" Like, you're just going to go rape the bitches or, you know, whatever. And I was like, number one, I don't talk that way, asshole. And number two, like, uh, Penn Gillette has a really good saying where he said, because a lot of people ask him this too. Well, if you don't have God, if you don't have the Ten Commandments, you don't have the Bible, which the Ten Commandments doesn't exclude rape, by the way, um, then... He, he says know. that, well, I do those things as much as I want to, and it just so happens that I don't want to, you know, and I'm paraphrasing this thing. So people ask me, well, what is my morality based upon? My morality is based upon fucking listening to people. When they say that they're in a traumatic situation, I sit down with empathy and I fucking listen to them. If a group of people say, hey, this is what I'm experiencing, like on my podcast, we have a large group of ex-evangelicals and people who have left fundamentalism or ex-fundies, however you want to fucking word us, they 
have a very, very, very similar story. If people come to you in masses and say, hey, this is my experience, you listen to them. So do white straight men have a place within this bullshit hierarchy where they might have been hurt? Absolutely. But it's going to be in a different way than, than I was hurt. And it's going to be a different way than a woman was hurt, which is going to be in a fucking different way that a lesbian was hurt. So when there's this many people in the demographics that are being hurt, that needs to be talked about. But but we also have to recognize that a lot of the people's things that they're going through, the ways that they were hurt, the way that they were going through trauma was because they did not have the privileges in yours. So when you speak about that, I think that it's wise to recognize other people's um, things, that, things that we may have taken it for granted as men. Women were not able to take for granted. The things that you as a straight man were not, uh, that you had easily given to you I didn't have as a, as a gay man and so I think that recognizing each one of those and that's what I call in, uh, intersectionality solidarity listening to each other's stories letting that influence so that we can find a more equal place uh, that's what his the, the I mean God is I would say if a fundamentalist God is scared to fucking death of intersectionality. And if you don't believe me, go look up the Bible of the Tower of Babel and read that again. What were the people doing? They were working together to build a small building. And God, you know, little fundamentalist God and his little impotence got uh, really insecure about that and fucked them all up by giving them different languages. And so, you know, we are taught to believe this is our history book. So that's where different languages came from. We, uh, <laughs> We solved the Rosetta Stone, damn it, in my third yes, grade did. Sunday school class. So, no, God is <laughs> there is this ongoing theme that God is scared of people working together. And if you don't believe me, you can see that in Christians, because if people work together and they want a one world something, they're like, oh, Nikolai Carpathia, the Left Behind books, <laughs> Tim LaHaye, you know. And then we start pulling on that shit, which I've read all of them and the teen version, God damn it. Um, so they start worrying about that but, shit. But, but it Jesus did them. pray in the Garden of Gethsemane that we'll be able to have like the same type of unity that, that he has with the Father. And so but, that's always that's always been like he my. Came Omar, he came and said he was going to kill, like that he was going to split people with a sword. So it's like if I Woo. say enough contradictory statements and I make Hallelujah. an entire like an that's entire to stick to Jesus, system, <laughs> but no, even as Jesus, I quoted Jesus when he said he's going to come with a sword and he's going to split families, he's going to split people. That's the right. thing is, is if I say enough contradictory stories or if I say everything in a very vague sense, which when fortune tellers do it, we say that it's bad but when jesus did it we're like oh maybe he's got a point when i use the same tactics and i could literally quote anything from jesus to say anything i wanted um that's a problem that's a problem that's a problem when you can get any viewpoint you want from the same book and it be emphatical on it you know the theme that i'm hearing being said um a lot though if i was going to try to put like any sort of like a bow on like what you're saying tell me if i'm getting this um is don't be fundamentalist in anything whether you're you know whatever it, it you're in whether it's christianity islam um you know like whatever you're if you're into like say you're your gay community, like don't want like, that fundamentalist attitude to creep into anything. Cause once that starts creeping in, you start getting that whole elitist mindset. You start like 
you know, trying to like, protect your like, group is that whole tribe mentality yeah. type thing like I think that a lot of that is tied yeah. into fundamentalism and, 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 and fear I mean tribes are okay yes but like like that when when the tribe starts to attack other tribes because they're not your tribe then it's not okay you know i mean I, when it becomes like a fear driven thing so like so maybe just like what we want to protect against is that fundamentalist attitude because like more than anything i may in my passion hmm. passion without knowledge becomes deadly you know so like you have all these people who are passionate about christ and his message but they don't have the knowledge to know, you know, what uh, life is actually about. So they go and they have the crusades, right? And they kill all these Muslim people because they're passionate about Christ. They're just lacking knowledge. So I think that's a good life lesson in anything for sure. I, I'm, I'm thinking about this as, as you guys are talking. Like, I think there's a difference between Christianity and Christian, like what I, what I would call supremacy. Uh, Christian supremacy is like... The same thing that we do as that we did as white people, you know, I mean, not personally, but growing up and I, I reaped the benefits from one way or another without me realizing. But like, you know, white people treated black people in a very poor way and Christians treat Christians of their same thing with one code of ethics and they treat people outside of the world with a different code of ethics. I think that there is a lot of parallels between the ways that we try to evolve as a society. Um, I don't think that humans are um, needing to grow an extra thumb in evolution. I think that our evolution now is how do we, um, how do we evolve together and in what way do we evolve together? I think of a beehive where each one has their own groups and their own thing that they do, but the way that we're working together, tribalism got us to where we are now. But right now where we are is we need to realize that the way that we need to evolve is by getting over tribalism and getting over this thing that makes us different. And we're going to stick with people that uh, white men in Congress are going to protect other white men in Congress and rapes don't matter anymore. Or, you know, all these things that us as men may not have known have been going on for fucking generations, but we weren't privy to. But literally, that's what was running the world behind us. I think the only things that are worth getting fundamental about is equality for all people and consent i honestly i think between those two things that we would be able to have a much easier society where the helpless are being um taken care of they are protected by law um they are not because they're not able to really make decisions for themselves when it comes to sexual things or whatever to a certain age um there we go and then after that when it comes to treating others the way that we want to be treated that equality that like kind of just puts us on equal ground and of course the discussion is giving well what is equality and having to do that for each thing but really God, there's not, uh, yes, there's finer details, but outside of that, I think that's going to be the easiest way of saying, hey, this is one thing that we all should be able to agree on and build our societies on. But sadly, we have a Congress right now and um, that is advocated for people who have broken consent, that the raping of children does is not a, um, is not a, shut down case for them they they're okay with it in certain circumstances and treating others the way they want to be treated has not been in the vocabulary of who's running our government right now for a very 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 long time um speaking of um evolving together 
equality, and consent. Are you single? <laughs> I, I am currently single, yes. Ha, ha, have you met my friend Ethan? <laughs> He's pretty, oh, pretty awesome. Hey, Ethan. What's up? Hi. <laughs> Jesus. That's a no-no, Omar. You're not supposed to try to hook up to gay people that you know. Yeah, right. Like, what if I did that to straight people I know? We're like, oh, hey, I know a guy who likes girls and a girl who likes guys. Because you're fucking everywhere. It's fucking everywhere. Well, I'm just saying, my, my, my friend thinks you're cute is all I'm saying. I'm just trying to, oh, I'm trying to be a good wingman here. So. I think I'm cute, too, so it looks like... <laughs> you all are cute for straight men. You, you, you well, 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 okay. So, what kind of guys are you into then? I, this feels like a reverse uh, queer eye. It's like uh, <laughs> several straight, straight, straight guys. Guy. Yeah, several straight guys. <laughs> what kind of guys I go through? You know, that's a funny question. Like, I've gone, th- like, that's a weird thing that you have to ask yourself. Coming out of fundamentalism where you're just like, I can only marry a woman. I could only be with a woman. And then, like, you start dating guys and you're like, oh, shit. Like, you know, I know what I've seen on the Internet, but that's not a reflection of reality. So trying to find that out has been a long process. And St. Louis is fucking weird because we have two pretty well-known, like, prestigious universities. And so what happens is, like... um, if you are my age and you live in St. Louis, it's because you got either A, a good job, all right, or B, something really bad happened to you that made you stuck in the middle of fucking United States, right? Like, who doesn't want to be on an ocean? What do we have? We have a, a river. Texas. We have who a, doesn't want to be in Texas? We have, a, we have a river that's known for its mud, guys mud <laughs> all right and we have like tom sawyer in our state and that's it well and also like sharp objects which is all about like abuse and trauma and then ozark on netflix which is all about like rednecks with guns right so that's we have that's, a co-host in st louis actually so yeah. well, the seth yeah i know him so but he has a good job like he has like a job that went with his career and his schooling um i'm an atheist with a bible degree and i'm here because <laughs> I have I have my son half time and so there's no way in fucking hell I would ever give up any time that I could with my son. So I'm here, you know. Uh, but the, the weird... well, let's bring it back to the kind of guys you're into. I, I want to know. I'm really curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. it's like, but the weird thing is like what happens with a lot of guys is they're a lot younger. They're like in their early 20s because they're going to one of these universities. Then they finish their degree and they get a job and they get the fuck out, you know? So dating in St. Louis is So weird. what are those called? <laughs> hey, I got a question. Yeah, that's what's a up? relatively serious question. So I know like a lot of like girls date, they, you know, they date their dad or whatever, or, like... What the fuck? I know you're from. He's from Arkansas. He's from Arkansas. Okay. <laughs> oh, so when you say dating your dad, do you mean like uh, you date someone like, like their dad, or like men Chick-fil-A, that are like their dad, or Chick Fil A when they had the themed nights where you literally take your child on a date? No, not that. Yeah, that's fucking weird. Like, uh, not like girls that have Jesus is my boyfriend in their Instagram bio either. <laughs> but uh, so like emotionally like people that are or are you attracted to people that you like have a good relationship with i I don't know how to word this 
Are you trying to ask him if he's attracted to people who have the same kind of spiritual quality, trauma that he has? Qualities. <laughs> Are you attracted to people that have qualities of other people that you respect in very high regard? Yeah, all I want to find in life is a gay Mark Driscoll. Um, no. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am so fucking thankful that you guys knew I was kidding when I said that. No, um, that's a good question because, like, there gets in the whole, like, okay, are you a top or are you a bottom? Do those uh, personalities, do they necessarily need to reflect with the male and female, like, counterparts? You know, that whole, like, shit of, like, gender, gender norms and everything that we have as a society. I, I don't really live by it. Um, I am attracted to whoever I'm attracted to. For the most part, I am attracted to, like, um, younger guys like that bears that are like maybe more sensitive and open uh because i'm a very like vulnerable person but at the same time i'm very like i feel like i'm kind of like a solid presence because i am a father and stuff i know that i'm going to be like a a solid sort of like protector type but it gets more into personality things than it does about like what gender theme do you fall in because those venn diagrams in our culture do have a lot of crossover, but in the most part, you have to ask, like, is that there because of weird colonizational things where we had many, many different genders that completely got, like, thrown out of the window whenever colonial Christianity took over, which happened, or or what? Like, gender is not binary, in my opinion, so right. my attraction has a wide theme, but I, I get what you're saying. It's hard to... It's hard to the reason to, I ask... The reason I ask is because my uh, my older brother he's thirty this year and he's openly gay he's been gay all his life and uh, so his boyfriend his partner boyfriend uh, whatever you want to say um, is a lot like me like we have the same build we have facial hair we have short hair like he's attracted to a man that is a lot like his younger brother and I was just wondering it is Arkansas we've already we've already discussed this oh what God. what would someone like Mason be called. <laughs> Does he have a classification? I know there's categories, right? He's a bear. Look at him. Yeah, look at this hamburger meat. Okay, you're you're Mason, the Arkansas boy. You're Mason. Okay, um, I think you're trying to say to me in a roundabout way is your brother wanting to have sex with oh. you? I think that that's a oh, that's not what you're asking. I, I know, like <laughs> like my brother. We have a, a great relationship. We're very close. Yeah, you're not proving my point wrong yet, but continue. Go ahead. <laughs> I, w- I wonder if he, he he's attracted to Wesley because emotionally, like he loves me and res- like as a brother, like uh, he Mason, cares about me. Mason, where do you live? Where does he live? I live in Southwest Arkansas. Where does he live? Oh, he lives in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Okay, so. It may be a thing where, like, there may be, like, a familiarity, maybe. But, you know, every single person's different, and I don't think there's a sexual thing about that. It's like, again, I keep on talking about fucking Venn diagrams. I don't know if you guys wanted a Venn diagram expert on your show or not today, but you got one. Um, and that's the idea of, like... I need you to provide those Venn diagrams when the show's over. <laughs> yeah, put them in the show notes. Everybody talk about show notes. <laughs> like, just the Venn diagrams of, like, themes that are important to somebody. One might be familiarity. One might be, like, whatever. And if there is, like, something about his boyfriend reminds him of home, I wouldn't take that like in a weird way or in a personal way um but yeah i i don't think that he's like 
attracted him because he reminds him of you, but there may be like a familiarity thing where he feels like, hey, you know, like I feel like I can trust this person because they have a background of somebody else I can relate to. Because that's how we do shit, right? Like empathy. And when empathy is more easy, we're more detached, we're more attached to it. When empathy takes more of an effort, then it may change us in other things, you know? Yeah. All right, Mason, did you get your answer, your uh, question answered? Kinda. I don't know. It's a weird. It's a weird question, and there's really no way to articulate it. But like, I don't know. I just think you. I just think you uh, are from Arkansas, and you guys you can go fuck like yourself. family fucking. You can go fuck yourself. You guys Fred. like family fucking. Fuck yourself. <laughs> oh my gosh, Brady. Yes, Brady. I'm so sorry that you had to hear that. I know. Um, okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we, we were kind of curious, okay, because okay. Ethan, you know, he's a bear. Are you into bears? If I had to label my, like, um, groups, I'm more into, like... Twinks. I, I hate that I am. I hate that I am, okay? <laughs> God damn it. I hate that I'm attracted to twinks. It is a thing that I've, like, reflected on. I'm like, is there something wrong with me? Like, is there something in my progressional growth that has kept me from being able to like guys that are more attractive, more around <laughs> my age? And I realized, like, maybe, but who the fuck cares? Some people are just attracted to twinks. God damn it. So if I end up being one of those, like, 50-year-old, 50 like, semi looking okay guys who's with a younger guy like and you want to say something to me go fuck yourself right because it might happen <laughs> i just kidding um no i am attracted to twinks i don't know why um it is a it is a thing i don't think it's worth like questioning over i don't think straight people really have to like freak out about their past lives and their relationship with their moms to figure out why they may be attracted to a cheerleader, like for Christ's sake. But I, I'm attracted to a wide variety of people like uh, twinks. Sure. Like otters where guys are a little bit more hairy. Yeah. Um, oh. When it comes to, when it comes to, when it comes to like weight and stuff i have a lot of weird body fucking issues holy shit he just took his shirt off listeners cannot hear this but uh one of <laughs> who did one of, the, one of the white guys with glasses took his shirt off and wanted to show his... you that i'm an otter we have a lot of white oh, okay. guys with glasses i know I, this is how i see the world now i'm just like white guy i'm like guess who but half of them get pushed down um no, there's just like a wide variety of what it like. I have weird ass weight issues of myself because of the home that I was in, like grown up in that I've had to like grow the fuck past on and like grow up on myself. So there's like weird body accepting issues. The gay community is a little bit more um, is a little bit more. I guess, look oriented at times in my community, at least. Um, and I think a lot of that is because we are such a repressed culture that the only outlet some of these like little gays like me had was the internet. You know what I'm saying? Like imagine not having any examples of a romantic relationship that looks like yours, but having loads and loads of porn. If you just get on Google, right? So yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that would definitely shape your perspective on what you're what you're attracted to. Absolutely. Exactly. So I'm not going to like try to sit here and, you know, be a therapist for my entire generation. But the gay community dating, I will say this 100 percent true. 
gay dating is a little bit different than it was when I was a Christian fundamentalist. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just like I've had sex with one woman, my wife. But when it comes to men, Brady's lost count. And I'm not trying to make my, myself to be a whore, but like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, if your morality has changed to consent and caring about how you treat others and treating others the way you want to be treated, and is having good communication with people, you notice there's no sexual requirements there. So as long as I have good, like, communication with people, Brady is a free man. And I don't have any, like, guilt about it. And it's kind of fucking awesome. So any listeners... Go for it. This is my last question, and this yes. is probably going to get me thrown off the podcast. Is he okay? Is it okay that he wants to fuck his mother? Oh no! All right, so watch Bates Motel. So when we talk about vag, when we talk about vag, Seth gets really freaked out. He's like, "Oh, gross! You had sex with your wife, and you had a baby with her. Is vag that bad to a gay guy?" <sighs> Prison man. <laughs> wow defined by your circumstance at the time <laughs> i've never i've never seen it but watch um watch the entire series of the oz and get back to me all right <laughs> okay or, 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 orange is the new black or something is there a lot of is i'm assuming there is a lot of like sex themes in the eyes right yes there is butt stuff there is a whole other spectrum that is built upon what we need as human beings you want to know a good example of it when you can't get sex what do you use your hand you know what i'm saying like we fill those desires in the way that we need to for what we need anyway yeah Go for it. Different spectrum. Interesting. Renee, did you have something you wanted to say? No, I just had a lot of problems here, so. <laughs> Where are you from? I like your voice. I am from Eindhoven, from the Netherlands. Netherlands. So really, really what we've been trying to do is get you to categorize us Oh, on the podcast. That's what we have yeah, been that's trying what we're to do. Wanting. Is that what is that what's <laughs> happening right it. now? Is that what's happening right now? Yes. It's okay. We, we think it'd be funny to because someone showed the categories on. I think it was Grinder, and they cracked us up. We couldn't even believe that these were na- like we just don't know. We have, we have no. no and we didn't know which ones we were. Yeah, we're like what? We're so yeah. We were yeah. Would you yeah? So do us do us the honor. I will. Absolutely. Let's do this. Um, all right. All right. Who was just talking? What was your name again? I'm sorry. I'm Andy. Andy. Um, I'm not asking you to take your shirt off. Do you have a lot of body hair? No, I don't. Oh, you oh, probably, oh we can all take our shirts off if you want. Yeah, we don't need to go. To, we don't need to go to that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not against it. I'm just saying I don't want to like be that weird predatory gay who's on camera watching, you know, more than five guys take his shirt off for him. Okay, <laughs> that's but, just, um, that's it. But the no hair, the no hair is genetic. It's not like I shave. Or no, 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 no. This it's has nothing. Genetic. This isn't. That's the weird thing is like it doesn't necessarily reflect upon. 
it's just kind of like categories that people used because we were a smaller community. Smaller communities can use like categories in a different way. And then they just kind of like stuck and became a thing. So I would maybe classify you more as like a twink. You do have more facial hair. Um, Ooh, and you but, have a chance. But how, can I ask how old you are? I'm 30. 30, yes. You definitely look a hell of a lot younger than you are. So I definitely classify you as like, you're like a twink who kept that going for a, for like a long time. So way to go. Congratulations. Hell yeah. Omar, <laughs> yeah. Omar, um, I, I see you have very like curly hair. I'm assuming just by your genetics and your look that you're more of a hairy person. Am I right? I, I'm not very hairy. You're not? I'm, I'm pretty... Not not very hairy. It's just well hung. <laughs> wow. So, Omar, you might just be more of like what they call maybe like a wolf or something, which is I think do I think they're supposed to be? Yeah, it's really fucking weird, right? Why animals, by the way? Why did we have to pick fucking animals? Because like straight people. Because it's uh, gay people. I mean, it's kind of the same thing as bestiality. <laughs> Yeah, I knew he was going to go there. I knew it. Okay, earlier I mentioned my problem with uh, the liturgist and, and Michael Gunger, okay? The reason is because on their show, and I'm, I'm fine to talk about this publicly if you are, um, on their show they had a Catholic come on and talk about why women are... are I, whatever but he also get on got on to 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 Christ, to to um to gays and put us in the same category as bestiality and uh. i went off on gunger and i'm like you can't do this you cannot be a responsible podcast host and let somebody say shit like this and not fight it you don't let somebody just say um anything about any minority in that sort of a vulgar way, imagine, imagine for a second how you would feel if there, if you were a minority and you represented that minority to a lot of people in your life, and then you were just openly called somebody who fucks their children while having a child and having a mom who tried to have that child taken away. Do you get what I'm saying? So, like, I tried to communicate that with Michael Gunger would not get it and just acted like his view was normal. And I'm like, holy fucking shit. So we had a big kerfuffle. I was on, I just taken an Adderall. So I was maybe a little uh, too focused on it and went a little overboard. But the whole point being... Yeah, you used the word kerfuffle. (laughs) You definitely went overboard. Yeah. Have you seen it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen it? No, no, I haven't. I'm surprised there was not pushback there. I, I, I at the end of that episode, I was like, seriously? Yes, another one. Right, really, fucking right. And the other host, Science Mike, Science Mike was like, uh, Brady, I am. Is he gay? No, I think he's married, has a kid, and he um, talks openly about being autistic and bullied as a kid. So when okay. he responded to me on Twitter, he said, I am so sorry. I want to fix this. I like he empathized because I think him as a minority has seen other situations where he may have been categorized in a very bad way and not have representation at all. Like it felt like I was being tied down to a chair while listening to this fucking podcast. And the 
only reason that I listened to it is because a friend of mine was in it, but I felt like I was tied into a chair and had to listen to people talk about shitty things about me without being able to respond. So when I talked on Twitter, Science Mike was amazing, very empathetic, but Michael Gunger could not get it through his head. And I think that he's since kind of like backed off a little bit. And I want to show him some respect. He has my email address. He's been given it to him by a third source. So if he wants to reach around, I'm down to having a conversation with him. But that was fucking bullshit. Oh, that's a that's a different thing, Andy. <laughs> yeah. The old reach. So let's let's move to Chris. What do you think Chris is? Chris, uh, raise your hands with the with the other guy with the glasses. I would say you're more of like I don't want to use the word cub because cub sometimes feels Ooh. like overweight and that's not the thing you're just more hairy you're more of the cuddly type I th- i'm overweight it's cool you, no, 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 but, no, no. but also Whatever. piss him off and he'll tear you apart that's right <laughs> <laughs> no you have like a very like i feel like you'd be empathetic you'd be a good listener and i think that uh that's I'll the other side you all other long. than other than physical attributes that'd be the other attributes that i would assign to you all right who's next this is fun mason Mason. But Ma- Mason Mason's Mason's gone but he was the one that uh, was talking he's the one from I'm Arkansas here. from earlier Arkansas. Oh, he's back. Mason is a Greek god uh, Mason what sports did you play in high school basketball because it was the only sport that they offered so yeah I'd probably classify you more as like a jock I feel like you've got more of a sp- I feel like I'm doing your, your horoscope first off secondly <laughs> um yeah, you've got more of like an athletic look to you. You're from Arkansas, more of a country boy. I feel like, yeah, you're probably a, more of a jock. All right, who's Thanks. next? Let's keep this going. This is fun. Renee. <laughs> Renee, yeah. Renee. I don't know that you've seen a picture Renee, of. Renee. Uh, fucking that's Dutch. The, that's that's the fucking Dutch. <laughs> uh, I would classify you probably if we were on Scruff, which is another gay dating app, you would be put down as a... <laughs> as a geek which usually means just like a um you know like you're comfortable with the fact that you're interested in things that don't have to do with just going to the fucking gym like you have a guitar in the background you've got glasses i have a feeling that you're good at shit like yeah i would put you down as a geek yeah you're smart as fuck you're a fucking geek and you're handsome, and you've got a nice baby. So way to go, everybody! Clap. Well, <laughs> way to go. <laughs> hey, you've got a nice baby. You got a nice baby. You, you know what? <laughs> you know what Seth looks like. You know what Seth looks like. So what would you classify Seth as? Seth, I think, is more of an otter. I've never seen him without his shirt off, but maybe like I'm assuming he's probably hairy because guys who lose their oh, hair, is. guys who lose their hair up top, it, it has to do with the testosterone thing, and it's because more is being shot to the chest hair. There's a whole connection to it. If you don't believe me, look up uh, what is that new thing where you can like get pills each month to get your testosterone down so you don't lose your your head hair. What is that shit? Uh, I don't know. It's on a whole bunch of fucking podcasts. I'm drawing that blank. Oh, hymns. 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 Yeah, hymns. So I would assume Seth is probably more of an otter. You know, he's balding on top. He probably has a Harry Potter, uh, Harry, Harry Potter, Harry body. <laughs> and um, I don't, and he's like, you know, more like thin trim. Yeah. That's, that's, that's shoes on three. Yeah. Very much so. Uh, and then last but not least, Mr. Ethan. Ethan. Ethan up there. Pretty easy. Ethan up there. 
Yeah, I would put you probably as an otter as well with uh, with uh, set there. You, the balding hair usually means a more hairy body. You're not like, you're not like a big, big, big guy. So yeah, probably between like a uh, an otter, just like me, on their way to becoming a bear, probably or more of like a, yeah, you know, whatever. I like. Uh. I like a like a solid dad bod. Like I go to the gym, but you can still you can still tell that I'm a dad. But you could tell that I go to the gym, you know. So I'm like this weird in between that I think a lot of like, you know, St. Louis guys who spend a lot of time closeted are just like I don't know what the fuck to do with that shit. You know what I mean? That's me. That's me in the dating world. Um, I'm usually more funny than this. I feel like I've just been really like. Hey, let's talk about trauma and shit for as long as we can, you know? This is what it's this is what it's like to go on a first date with me, which is probably why I'm single. You know? Because <laughs> I'm just like a little too forthcoming with shit. I've read maybe a little too much Brene Brown. Like, I might need to tone down my vulnerability a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you better be upfront from date one, you know, so there's no surprises at day two. Oh, I like that. Straight from the Netherlands. That's good advice. Brady, we just, I, I know I speak for everyone. When I say this, we, you know, thank you so much for coming on uh, fade to gray today and talking to us about um, religious trauma. Also um, the gay community and, and shooting the shit with us about all these things. I think it's a very important conversation to have. You have an entire season out um, on your podcast, yes. which is called the life after the life. After and podcast, I yeah. highly recommend everyone go and download it right now. What was your favorite iTunes. episode? What was your favorite episode? The one where uh, Chuck interviewed you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it is fantastic. Very well done. Uh, very you. well produced. It sounds great. Um, I actually likened the production uh, earlier whenever I was talking to Andy about this to that of like the serial podcast, which I think Ooh. is very high quality. So uh, I will tell my very... co-host that shit. He will love it. <laughs> well, good, good. I, I think it's a very important podcast that people need to hear. Thank so you. I certainly hope that they'll go and subscribe right now. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And also, I want to appreciate. Thank you all for letting me come on the show. Just want to tell anyone, anyone going through religious trauma syndrome or anything, uh, find a therapist. Therapy is so fucking important. Licensed, real therapy. If you need a Christian licensed therapist, get a Christian's licensed therapist. If you need a non-Christian therapist, find that out. Communicate it up front. Check your jobs. Check our website, thelifeafter.org. There's resources on our contact page of how you can get in touch with networks of therapists who have promised not to be religious or places where you can get three, uh, get therapy for free through your insurance or maybe even through a sliding scale. It is affordable. It is so fucking important even to start licensed therapy our churches and fundamentalism like push it away but it is there is a reason that they didn't want you to be exposed to it because it will change your life for the better without their help and it will change your life forever therapy licensed therapy thank you right on thank you thank you thank you so much for coming on brady my pleasure it was a good speaking to you all Likewise. Th and thanks for classifying us. That really meant a lot. Hey, anytime. anytime. I'm so happy. It was a pleasure awesome. to speak to you all. You have a good day. Thanks, Brady. Thanks, man. Bye. Bye. That was awesome. That was, was really amazing. great. Yeah. So what did I miss?
a lot. Yeah, obviously. You need to piss or get off the pot there, Renee. <laughs> you need to you need to tell your kids to fuck off and get on this episode. <laughs> no, man, I was getting drunk at a barbecue at work and I got home and I ran upstairs trying to fix my uh, Skype and everything was set up and then my Skype said, you can't use Skype because it's not the latest update. And I was like, fuck you. Yeah, that that was basically it. And then downstairs, something went wrong. So I had to go downstairs again. And, oh, well. Good days and bad days. <laughs> this is true. Hey, but that was awesome. I, I, I really, man, I hope, I hope that people who listen to his podcast, check out this podcast because, um, it, I don't know. I feel like he connected really well with us, or at least if, if we could get some of our listeners to go over there, obviously, um, I don't know. The, that that dude definitely has a lot to say, and I'm going to start listening to his podcast for sure. Oh, it's really it's, good. It's amazing. His podcast is amazing. Yeah. Omar is not here, but I can speak for him in saying that it's really helped him out a lot. Like since he's been listening to it the last few weeks. I listened to the whole thing in like a day and a half. Damn. Yeah. I didn't sleep that night. I just listened to episodes of the podcast. <laughs> it's so good. I. I didn't speak as much as I intended to because I kept getting emotionally choked up by what Brady was saying. <laughs> so I was like, mm, nope, quiet for a little bit longer. I like that he said uh, that I was an attractive guy. <laughs> <laughs> he was just being nice. He's an ego boost, man. What did he call me, an otter? He's just being nice. Yeah, you're an otter. No, wait. No, you weren't an otter. Oh, a cub. cub. Oh, that's right. Cub. What the fuck? What, what, what's a cub again? Uh, I don't know. Doesn't matter. Bear, that's not a bear yet. <laughs> maybe, maybe Seth knows. I don't know. Seth, what's a cub? It's a baby bear. <laughs> a baby bear. Oh. He said you're an otter. Oh, nice. I'm yes. an otter. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, that's what he was eating. And that wraps up episode six of Fade to Gray. Thank you so much, Brady, for coming on. Uh, do not forget to check out Brady's podcast, The Life After Podcast. Anywhere you get podcasts, they are on, and you should subscribe. It is incredible. And also, don't forget to follow Fade to Gray on social media. Uh, Fade to Gray on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. We post only the dankest memes. You can also add us on Friendster, friendster.com slash Fade to Gray pod. And do not forget to follow us on Pinterest. We have only, only the best recipes, and we've got great palette designs. We will build you one for $4,000, so do not forget to follow us on Pinterest. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 6. Again, we appreciate you. Do not forget to subscribe on iTunes, and we'll see you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.